Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Have you ever felt tired? Um, Have you ever felt tired, but like really, really tired? Uh, Not just physically tired, but emotionally tired, spiritually tired, burnout tired. Recently, burnout has even been in the news as people are beginning to acknowledge the chronic exhaustion of living through a multi-year pandemic, trying to navigate schools, workplaces, homes, friendships, public spaces. And in our personal lives, um, this may be a tiredness and exhaustion after wanting something for a long time. It may be a weariness after trying the same thing over and over, but getting the same disappointing result. It may be discouragement from doing all the right things all the time, but never actually seeing the result of your good intentions or your follow-through. Maybe the kind of tiredness where it's hard to care anymore. It's hard to get excited anymore. It could be a delayed promotion, a season in your life or in the life of someone you love that you hoped would be different. could be a friend or family member who um, time and again rejects Jesus. When we long or work hard for something and the results are not what we wanted, we often become tired and weary. And the worst part about burnout and exhaustion is that we may begin to think that no one sees us and no one cares for us. We begin to wonder if what we're doing even matters even more. We may begin to wonder if God himself has somehow just forgotten about us. Does he see what's happening? Does he see what I'm doing? Has he just lost me somewhere in the couch cushions? Our burnout makes us wonder if God even cares. But the good news, church, this morning from Zechariah is that God does care. God never forgets his people. The cure to burnout is knowing that someone cares. And if you belong to God, a powerful God cares for you. In the book of Zechariah, the people of Judah have returned from a long and weary exile in Babylon. In fact, it's the exile that Justin talked about last Sunday from Jeremiah. A new ruler came into the picture and he sent the people back home to Jerusalem. But like returning home after a natural disaster, after a hurricane or a tornado, nothing was the way they left it. They rebuilt the wall of the city that was ruined. It was really hard. They had enemies and even their friends opposed them at times. They started to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed and it was an uphill battle. And quickly they realized that it would be nothing like the temple was before the exile. In fact, when they started laying the foundation for the rebuilt temple, the book of Ezra tells us that some people were super excited. They were cheering and shouting, and other people were crying. And the people who were crying were people who had seen the temple before, and they knew that the new temple that they were building was not as good as the old one, and it probably wouldn't be again. Well, in Zechariah 10, the prophet Zechariah encourages the people and encourages us today that no matter what, God never forgets his people. Church, God never forgets his people. We're going to see this in three ways. The first way is that God provides for his people. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Ask the Lord for rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds. And he will send showers of rain, so every field becomes a lush pasture. Now, Zechariah is a prophet, and God spoke through the prophets in pictures and poetry. Um, these pictures and poetry are sometimes crazy. If you want a treat, read the whole book of Zechariah this week. Um, There's some interesting stuff in there. (laughs) Um, But God spoke to them through pictures and poetry. And so um, you might notice that this reads more like a poem, more like a psalm than just a paragraph of information. 
And so we're going to see three things in this. First of all, God is able, willing, and good. First, he's able. It says, he makes the storm clouds. So God is able to give good things because he makes good things. They belong to him. You can ask God for rain, Zechariah says, because God literally makes rain. He, second, he's willing, says he will send showers of rain. God is willing to say yes to what his people need. There aren't any caveats. Often we try to give caveats in our prayers, but God's response to our prayers are simple and don't need our editing. He's just willing to help his people. And third, he's good, says every field will become a lush pasture. God doesn't withhold good things from his people. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Every field will become a lush pasture. It's not just a sprinkle. It's not a spritz. It's not a torrential flood. It's exactly the right amount for every field to flourish and produce fruit. You and I should hear this simply, that if we need something, we should ask God, who is able, willing, and good. Don't overthink your prayers. There's no need to filter them, to stop yourself from praying about something you're not sure about. You should just ask God for what you need and what you want. Trust that God is good and that he has the wisdom and authority to give you what is best. Second, in verse two, we see that we should ask God then. If God gives us the rain, we should ask God and not other gods. The problem with God's people, they asked for what they needed, but they were asking other sources. In verse two, it says, household gods give worthless advice. Fortune tellers predict only lies and interpreters of false dreams pronounce falsehoods that give no comfort. So my people are wandering like lost sheep. They're attacked because they have no shepherd. The people of Israel asked household gods. They asked idols. They asked fortune tellers. They asked dream interpreters. And this was why the people of Israel and Judah were in exile in the first place. God sent them into exile because they didn't call on him who was able, willing, and good to give them what they needed. They call on all the gods around them for help, false gods who weren't able, who weren't willing, and who weren't even good. Friends, where do you go when you have a need? If you're not asking God, realize you're probably trying to get what you want or what you need from someone or something else. Ask yourself, what do I rely on to be okay? It could be following all the rules. It could be making sure no one is ever mad at you. It could be seeking to control things that are wearing us out. We may not have household gods or visit fortune tellers, but we all have things we go to instead of God when we have deep unmet needs. And this doesn't mean we don't go to medical professionals, mental health professionals, friends, or leaders. God gives us those people in our lives to help meet those needs. But in matters of our heart and our soul and our lives, we need to ask God to help us and give us what we need. Recently, I found myself really burnt out at work. Still a little burnt out, um, but I got a puppy and that's my helping. Um, I, I felt worn out and like what I did didn't really matter. Um, when that happened, instead of going right to the Lord, I just tried really hard to fix everything. Um, everything. Uh, I caught myself one morning revamping processes. I had a post-it note on my computer and I was revamping processes that I realized later that day I'd had like meetings the previous week that were all talking about how those processes were already being proved by other people in our company. Um, I left the sticky note on my desktop as a reminder to, um, to chill out a little bit on that. Um, but instead of turning to God, I just turned up to speed, raised the standards, 
instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. Work is obnoxious right now. I really just want to log off, get in my car and drive to Alaska. Would you care for me? Can you remind me that you haven't forgotten me? Instead of going to the Lord, we often come up with our own plots and schemes to make things better. Instead of going to the Lord, asking him for help and asking him for his care. God never forgets his people. So trust him and ask him to provide for you. Second, God doesn't forget his people. And so he gives them good leaders. In verse three, we see that first of all, God punishes bad leaders, says my anger burns against your shepherds and I will punish these leaders for the Lord of heaven's armies has arrived to look after Judah, his flock. He'll make them strong and glorious like a proud war horse in battle. The leaders of Judah failed the people often. They had bad kings. Saul was a bad king. David was a good king and did sad. Solomon's reign was amazing economically and like really great for Israel financially. But his son put the country in civil war and it was basically downhill from there. <laughs> um, these leaders often led the people astray too, not just politically not doing well, but spiritually leading them farther away from God. They led them to these false gods, these idols and fortune tellers. The kings would follow. The kings would incorporate worship of other gods into their worship. And then all the people would, and it just went downhill. And God says in Zechariah 10.3 that he'll punish them. And the simple thing to take from that is know that God sees bad leadership. If you've experienced bad or evil leadership in your life, know that God sees that. Nothing goes over God's head or flies under his radar that should comfort you. And if poor leadership is the cause of your exhaustion, know that God still cares for you and he has the final say. But it's not just that God holds bad leaders accountable. God also gives his people good leaders. God doesn't leave his people to their bad leaders. His intentions are not just to hold leaders accountable, but to give his people good leadership. First, it says that God will lead his people. So if you look at verse four, it says, for the Lord of heaven's armies has arrived to look after Judah, his flock. He will make them strong and glorious like a proud war horse in battle. So first it says, for the Lord of heaven's armies, basically God himself has arrived to look after Judah. God is coming to lead his people and he's leading them to become like a proud war horse, cared for, cherished, and honored. Imagine a warrior going out every day to the stable to check on his horse. And that is the picture that Zechariah is giving the people. But not only will God lead his people himself, but God will also send a leader from his people. It says in verse four, from Judah will come the cornerstone, the tent peg, the bow for battle and all the rulers. They will be like mighty warriors in battle, trampling their enemies in the mud under their feet. Since the Lord is with them as they fight, they will overthrow even the enemy's horsemen. And so again, Zechariah is using poetry here, and he's using these several images to describe what good leader, what a good leader would be like. It's like a cornerstone, provides stability and a firm foundation for his people. It's like a tent peg, he can hold the tension of living faithfully in a complex world, like a tent peg holds down the roof of a tent. And like a battle bow, defeating the enemies of God and his people. This is what we call a triple fulfillment. <laughs> um, but it's fulfilled in several ways. Prophecy usually is. First, it's fulfilled that God sent good leaders in Israel's history again. There were good leaders in Israel's history after this story. 
The Maccabees were a group of leaders that led the people of Judah after Zechariah was written. They threw off the oppressive people who were, who were oppressing them, and they called people back to worship the true God. That story isn't in scripture, but we know from our history books that it happened that these people were good leaders. Second, God sent Jesus from Judah to lead his people. When it talks about a leader coming out of Judah, Jesus came out of Judah. He was the cornerstone. All of life is built around Jesus. If you build your life on Jesus, it will not budge. He was like a tent peg. He didn't fall for the simplistic takes of people when people thought he was wrong to eat with tax collectors and sinners, or like when they thought he was breaking the Sabbath by healing someone. He was like a battle bow. He conquered sin and death for his people. And then lastly, in our lives, God sends the Holy Spirit to lead us in our hearts. It says that if we are children of God, we are led by his spirit. By his spirit, we're becoming like cornerstones, people of stability, people who are not easily swayed by life's difficulties or the accusation of the devil. By his spirit, we're becoming like tent pegs, able to hold the tensions of living faithfully in a complex world. We're learning to love our neighbors even when we disagree with them. We're learning to walk with God when it is hard. We're learning to do hard things in life, but also to enjoy the good things in life. We're pursuing close community, but also branching out in mission. We're able to hold the tension of living faithfully. And finally, by his spirit, we are becoming people who are gaining victory over our sin and our old self, putting them both to death. So are you being led by the Lord? Are you listening to godly leaders around you, listening to his word and prayer, making wise decisions and moves with what you know to be true about God? And then we should thank God for every good leader in our life. Good leaders, like every good and perfect gift, are from above, from God. You should give, good thank- you should give thanks for good leaders, whether it's in your church, in your family, in your work, and you can thank them yourself. <laughs> Sometimes we think we just have one or two leaders in our lives, like we have our pastor and our boss, and that's it. But thank God for good leaders in every part. It could be your line supervisor. It could be your CG leader. It could be anyone who leads any sort of team. It could be the friend that always organizes the road trip. And you'll likely find that a heart of gratitude for good leaders helps us trust that God will take care of the bad ones. God has not forgotten you, but he wants to lead you in your life, both directly and by providing you with good leaders. Lastly, God provides for his people. God, sorry, God remembers his people and he brings his people home. God promises restoration to his people and promises to strengthen his weak people. So if you see verse six, it says, I will strengthen Judah and save Israel. I will restore them because of my compassion. It will be as though I had never rejected them for I am the Lord their God who will hear their cries. God promises to restore his people because he is compassionate. God doesn't leave his people alone. He doesn't let their rebellion be the end of the story. When God's people run to other sources of fulfillment, when they fall prey to bad leaders, when they wander away, God calls them right back. The people of Judah in Zechariah's time were tired. They were worn out. They were discouraged. But God promised that he would restore them, even if their weariness was sometimes their own fault. And it says that it will be like he never rejected them, like the rift between them and God never existed. Read again, it says, it will be as though I had never rejected them, for I am the Lord their God who will hear their cries. 
The story of God and his people Israel is a story of God continually hearing his people's cries and rescuing them. It is what God does. This is a fundamental thing that he does. He's always hearing the cries of his people and delivering them. He hears them when they're in slavery in Egypt. He hears them all throughout the book of Judges when they're continually attacked by neighboring enemies. He hears them in exile in Babylon. He hears them in the weariness of rebuilding in Zechariah. And eventually he sends them Jesus, who is the answer to all their rebellion, all their weariness, all their oppression, everything. Jesus comes from Judah to say once and for all that God is with them in their pain and their sin and in their wandering. So God's invitation to us is this, be restored to me. If you have not trusted God, if you have not relied on his goodness, if you are turning away to other things, big or small, come and be restored to God. God's restoration is forward, not backward. When we hear restoration, we often think that it just means back to the way things were. Like waking up from a bad dream, we're just back to normal. Waking up, back, everything's fine. But that's not exactly how God's restoration works. God isn't only bringing things back to the way they were. God's actually moving them forward in a new way. All of humanity began in the Garden of Eden, but God's plan is not just to send us back there. He's bringing us forward into a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21.5, he who is seated on the throne, which is Jesus, says, I'm making everything new. And in 2 Corinthians 2.15, we're told that this renewal takes place on the inside too. It says, though we do not, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. It can be easy for us to want to look back to a better time during that season of life, when I lived in this or that city, when I had this group of tight-knit friends, when I had this job that I really liked. We can look back thinking that life would be good or life could be better if only we could get back to the way things were in a certain time or place. We want restoration, but often only back to what we already know. But Jesus once told a man that he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And that's heavy. But the point is that God is inviting us forward not to look back. Friends, it's hard to trust God for the future if our eyes are always on the past. Looking back burns our energy for the present, takes our energy away from taking the next step forward today. And it robs our hope from the future. It makes us feel helpless because we struggle to see the future. We just want the past. But if faith is imagining a future with God, if like Hebrews 11 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. I want to ask you this afternoon, can you imagine a future with God that you just haven't seen yet? Ask yourself, what would happen if I scheduled that happy hour with my coworkers, trusting that God would take my risk and do something good? Can I imagine what would happen if I brought Jesus up to that family member one more time, trusting that God could use that to draw them closer? Could I imagine what would happen if I took a minute on the way into my house to talk to my neighbor, trusting that God could use that minute or two for something more? Can I imagine what would happen if I brought my full presence to church on Sunday, trusting that God would help me power through the awkward and bless me with more friends in the beginning of deeper relationships that would be encouraged and, and overjoyed by worshiping God and hearing from his word? Can I imagine what would happen if I had that hard conversation with my friend, navigating the conflict, trusting that God would use that to grow our friendship beyond a false peace? 
Can I imagine what would happen if I acknowledged the elephant in the room with someone who's hurting, trusting that God could use my care to minister to someone in pain? When we don't trust God for our future, we end up turning back. We end up looking to the past or some other vision of the future for our hope. And left to ourselves, our failure to trust in a God who is able, a God who's willing, and a God who's good is lethal. It is sin, and it will kill us body and soul. It's what sent Israel and Judah into exile, and it's what originally exiled all people from God's presence. But the hope of the gospel and the hope for our burnout is that God never forgets his people. He never forgets his people, and so he sent his son Jesus to provide a payment for the penalty of our sin. He never forgets his people, so he sent his son Jesus leading us into life with God. He never forgets his people, so he sent us Jesus to bring us home to the Father. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.